Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 66 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast, the Mario Lemieux episode, joined by Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski. Jamie Eisner is off on some sort of assignment he gave himself to feel important. He's at Disney World, isn't he? Yeah. He's in Orlando. I just assume if you're in Orlando, you're at Disney World. I've never been to Disney World. No? Or Disneyland. I've driven by Disneyland, at least. It's really expensive. Yeah. Really long lines. A couple good rides. Other than that, uh, yeah. I hear it's not really worth the hassle once you're older than, like, 10. That's kind of how I feel, yeah. And now I just picture a bunch of people in line and then Jamie standing in line with a big lollipop, like <laughs> pushing kids out of the way. Oh, ooh. That's, that's what he gets for, uh, for not visual. doing the show. Yeah, good Start luck with the show, especially. Wearing a big a Mickey Mouse shirt. No. No. That's, uh, that's what we do here. It is episode 66, like I said, the Mario Lemieux episode, so why not start with a uh, record of his that might fall? Because the Columbus Blue Jackets have won 16 in a row uh, along the way, too. They've beaten some good teams. This is not some sort of, you know, you have this inflated record in college football because you played a bunch of Conference USA teams or something. This is the uh, the Blue Jackets in the toughest division in hockey. Right. A division they still only lead by three points. And, and that's that's the crazy thing, right? <laughs> you is. haven't put any distance. You've won 16 straight. And everybody's nipping at your heels. Not just one team, but like three teams are nipping at your heels. How about the fact that the Philadelphia Flyers won 10 games in a row earlier this year, and they're in fifth? Yeah. And they're actually not even – we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, Are those top five teams pretty much locked in? They are actually not. If you look at the Flyers, mm-hmm. they're only three points ahead of, of teams in the Atlantic now for that, uh, that second wild card spot. Toronto and Tampa Bay are both three points behind – Philadelphia. Now, granted, Philadelphia is still they have the fifth best record in the Metro, and that's the sixth best record in the entire Eastern Conference. But right. you win ten games in a row in that division, and it gets you a fifth. But back to Columbus, they they defeat the Edmonton Oilers on Tuesday night. We're recording this on Wednesday, so their next game is in Washington on Thursday. But if you look at some of the teams they've beaten on the streak, obviously at Minnesota on New Year's Eve because that was the wild. That was a cool story, actually. I, I enjoyed that. I think more than the the outdoor games. Especially since yeah. a certain team lost for the fifth time, I think, their last six outdoor games. <laughs> Didn't cover Vladimir Tarasenko. Well, yeah, might be a good idea. You can, you can at least find solace in the fact that that particular team you're talking about plays in an outdoor game every single year. This is true. They um, just don't win them anymore. No, they don't, but they don't really need to, I guess. Uh, along the streak, Columbus hammered Pittsburgh 7-1. They beat Montreal. Um, let's see, they've, you know, they've beat Edmonton a couple times. The Oilers are a decent team. Now, this all started with a win over Tampa, which is... Should still be a good team. Should, should still I be. still believe they'll be in the playoffs when it's all said and done. I, I, I'm with you on that. Wins over Boston, Winnipeg. I mean, it's... And, and to your point, we were talking about this before the show start, Craig. 
to tie the record, they're going to have to go into Washington and beat the Capitals, which I'm actually kind of, I don't know if that's going to happen. And then if they do that, to break the record, they're going to have to beat the, the Rangers, who are another good team from the Metro. Yeah, that's, yeah and that's, I almost feel like that's how it should be, right? If you're going to get it done, I mean, there'd be some poetry in having to do it against Pittsburgh, the team that owns the NHL record for 17 straight wins. Um, but to do it within your division, you know, against the teams that you're going to probably be battling with later in the season... That's a cool storyline, and, and to have to do it on the road to tie it is, is a really good storyline against a very good Washington Capitals team. The next time they play the Penguins isn't until February 3rd, so if, it, if they're doing it at that point, they'll be going for win number 30 in a row, so that'll be, <laughs> that'll be pretty intense if it comes down that'll to that. That would be pretty epic. Yeah. There's so many things about this story that fascinate me. Um, you, when you look at this team, first of all, I think they're 20th right now in cap hit. Yeah. So this is a small market team, and they're doing it without – Really, re- many recognizable faces. You and I know them, obviously. Hockey fans know them, but they're just there aren't any superstars on this team yet. A couple of these guys may be right on the cusp of that. And to the general American audience, if you walked up to someone and said, "Name a single player on the Columbus Blue Jackets," they couldn't do it. And that's that's a great game, actually. Who would they name? Like, let's say you found somebody that could name one. Is it? It's probably. Felino because he played such a big I role in the All-Star no game. Idea, I have no idea, actually. I have no idea who people would pick. This this team is so interesting to me because they are... Last year when we did our predictions, the very first show we ever did... In fact, you weren't even on the show yet. You didn't come until like episode three or four. I, was, I wasn't even a special guest. No, it was the very first one. It was just me and Jamie. Can you imagine me and Jamie doing a show together now? That's so unlikely. So much bile. Yeah. <laughs> Not bile's much, just bile. Um but we did our predictions at the start of last year, and Columbus was, a, was the team I thought was going to get in. That's, I don't know that any team has ever burned me more in, in a prediction than Columbus last year. But then for whatever reason, I ended up writing about them over the summer uh, from Vegas in terms of they could be the team hurt the most by the expansion draft. And they've made a couple moves since then to kind of alleviate that a little bit. And then I remember writing about them at the start of the year with uh, Zach Wierenski and how he was – this was five games in, how he was already solidifying their blue line. But you look at, at the way this team is constructed, and you're right. There's no stars here. And I know that you and I have discussed this on the show before. We've mentioned it. I don't know that we've really discussed it. This is the model for these other teams to follow, right? And everybody doesn't get Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. In fact, only two teams get those guys. And there isn't one in the draft this year. So if you want to find a way to have success in this league, you know, there's always that thought of just bottom out. You'll get the first pick and then build from there. He's, he's going to be a star. We don't get the first pick. For the longest time, it was only Edmonton. Last year, it was Toronto. And there isn't an Austin Matthews or a Connor McDavid this year. You've got to kind of follow this plan, this blueprint that Columbus has set out there. And it's a copycat league, so teams are going to. It's interesting when you go back through their draft history, too, and, and look at it. They got Pierre-Luc Dubois at number three last year. He's not even in the lineup yet, so you can't even talk about him. But Wierenski was a number eight pick. When you look at some of the other draft picks, Alex Winberg was number 14 overall yeah. in 2013. Ryan Murray was the second pick in 2012. But then there are guys, you know, Boone Jenner was a second-round pick. Ryan Johansson's gone. He's not even on this team anymore. Brought him Seth Jones. So they've had success drafting throughout the draft. They, they've found later-round picks. they found late first-round picks. And that's really, I mean, if you're going to have success as a smaller market team, you have to do it through the draft, and you can't just say we got to hit on our first round picks. You got to you got to have sustained success throughout the draft and good development, good scouting, all of that. 
So clearly, this is a good organization. They're doing things right on a number of levels. Uh, that's a great point. I, I wrote about them this weekend for uh, for Fan Rag Hockey. I guess it was Monday. Everything's a blur during the holidays. But you know, to your point, you can start to break this roster down into some high end picks that that they hit on, and you have to hit on those. But none of them have been a number one pick. They've had one number one overall pick in franchise history, and that was Rick Nash. He's obviously not on the team. He's, he's not a part of this. And like you said, Pierre-Luc Dubois was the number three overall pick, but he's not playing, so he's not a part of this right now either. So if you go over the last 13 years, I believe it's they've had three top five picks, but one of them was Dubois, so take him out. The other two were, were Ryan Murray and, and Ryan Johansson, and like you said, Johansson's not here. Now, you traded him for Seth Jones, who was also a top five pick, so maybe just consider that a, a wash in terms of of having high selections, but really, they've just hit on first-round picks like Alex Wenberg. Uh, Ryan Murray is maybe not what everybody hoped he'd be with the second pick, but he's still playing a he's role. A good player. He's still a good player. And yeah, I mean, just look over the years. They they really, it's it's not star players that they've taken because they won the lottery. It's guys like that, or it's trades they've made. Obviously, the Brandon Saad deal. And then it's just vets filling yeah. in. Or you, you hit on a player like Cam Atkinson, who was a six-round pick, yeah. and now has 38 points in 36. I think he's fifth in the NHL in scoring. Cam Atkinson. How many people know about this guy across the country? He's averaged sixth in the NHL. My apologies. Just over 23 goals per season, though, the, the two years before this. So it, he's not completely out of nowhere this year, but you're right. I mean, you took him, what, 157th? So he was completely out of nowhere in that draft. And... Uh, <laughs> He's, he's the sort of goal-scoring American player that they'll leave off the Olympic team. Right. Because he's too good yeah, well, at scoring. And because and the, the coach wouldn't know anything about him, right? Well, the coach this time should. <laughs> My point. Yes. I saw what you did there. Pretty funny. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I do think that there's a, a bigger picture here with the Blue Jackets in terms of, you know, when, when I wrote that, I, I did some research on some of the other teams that have been near the bottom for the last couple of years that obviously didn't get those top picks. And so you're looking at yeah. the Carolinas and the New Jerseys, uh, Arizona, Calgary has been down there. I mean, Calgary's got some star players now, but they didn't take them with the first or second pick in the draft. So I don't know if you're one of those teams or if you're a team that's falling into that range, maybe Vancouver, if you don't get the first pick this year, this is the model to follow, but it's not easy. You have to hit on a couple of high picks, and, and you can't waste early picks. No, you, yeah. Again, your scouting has to be terrific. But and I, I don't know what to expect from this team down the line. I, I'm not ready to say that this is a, this is the team that's going to win the cup. They've got such competition in their own conference, in their own division, first of all. But you talk to people around the league. You just keep asking players and coaches what they think of the Blue Jackets, and to to a man, it's everybody will tell you they're they're one or two of the best teams. We've seen in the league this season. It's, I mean, how can you argue really with with what they're doing right now? But I don't, I don't think people think that this is a fluke with this team because they're coming at you with such depth, with such balance. They're doing it in so many different ways that you can't say, okay, if we take this player or that player out of the mix in the playoffs, we're going to have success against the Blue Jackets. They're, they're, they've got so much balance. Fourteen guys have at least ten points on this roster. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm 100 percent with you that it's real. They've never won a playoff series before, though, so I think I know that's not their goal right now is not to win one playoff series and bow out in round two, but we're going to do predictions later on in the show, and I'll just give you a sample. One of my predictions is that Columbus will win their first ever playoff series and bow out in round two, <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, they'll look back and see this as a successful season a couple months down the line because you'll have to compare it to last season when they were basically the worst team in the league, but... 
you're right. I'm with you that they they're not going to they're not going to disappear. Like they're obviously not going to win 16 in a row again this season or whenever the streak ends. So they're going to trail off probably a little bit here towards the end of the season. But I still think they're a playoff team next year and the year after. I think they've established themselves as that. But they're the cup favorite right now in Vegas. Yeah, that's a little crazy. I, I think that's jumping the gun a bit. Especially when you, again, you look at this division, you, you hit a little bit of a streak. Like ima- imagine the streak gets broken at some It's going to get broken at some point. But you can almost have a little bit of a letdown after that. If you lose a couple games, I mean, Pittsburgh, Washington, the Rangers are, are right back there at the top of the division. It's, it, it's just too hard to predict that at this point. I think that's a little crazy. And those are all teams that have playoff experience, too. I mean, the Penguins won the Cup last year. The Rangers took the Penguins out the two previous years. They were there last year. Washington's got their own stuff going on. They're not going to be concerned with Columbus in the playoffs. They've, you know, maybe a Columbus-Washington first-round series would be great because Columbus kind of has nothing to lose, and Washington goes does that thing where they tense up in the playoffs every year because they have to win this year, otherwise everybody's getting fired and they're blowing up the team, even though it's that way every year. Uh, there's going to be some fun playoffs in the Eastern Conference for sure, and then there's going to be an Ottawa-Boston series. So I did some research on these streaks. All right. um, looked at some of the, the teams with the longest winning streaks in NHL history, and, and there's an interesting trend here. And I, I talked to Coyotes coach Dave Tippett, who was – a member of that 92-93 Pittsburgh Penguins team that won 17 straight and set the NHL record. That team lost in the second round of the playoff to the Islanders. Yeah, you don't have to remind me. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's going way back. It was one of my earliest hockey memories, and I just remember nobody in my family being uh, able to function for a day or two after that. David Volek scored the game mm. winner. Mm. So, and one of the points Tippett made for, for that particular team was their win streak started late in the season. In fact, it ran up. They had won 17 straight going into the final game of the regular season when they tied the New Jersey Devils 6-6. So you have this pressure. As Tippett said, we probably should have been resting players, but we had this pressure. We felt like we needed to keep winning. And all of a sudden, someone sticks a pin in you. In the final game of the regular season, the streak's gone. You have this sort of letdown or at least exhale right when the playoffs are gearing up and you're out in the second round. Yeah. But when you look at some of the other teams, 2012-13, Pittsburgh won 15 straight that year, lost in the Eastern Conference Finals. Washington Capitals, since we were talking about them, 0-9-10, won 14 in a row, lost in the first round of, of the playoffs. 1929-1930 Boston Bruins, anybody remember I this? I knew you'd bring them up. Darn it. Yager on that team? They lost in the cup finals, only six teams made the playoffs, and two got buys that year. So, <laughs> <laughs> Even, you remember that incredible Philadelphia Flyers streak, 35 games, undefeated, 79-80, they lost in the cup finals. They didn't win it either. The only team with one of these streaks... The New York Islanders, 81-82, one fifteen straight, they won the Cup. But in many ways, and it's too small a sample size to say that there's something at play there, but there is that, there's almost this pressure. You, you try and sustain this for so long, and there's this inevitable letdown when it ends, and you wonder if that played into it. There, I think there's something to the first example you gave, too, and obviously the one Columbus is chasing right now with a chance to, to tie the 92-93 Penguins tomorrow night. I, I definitely think there's something to having the streak end right at the end of the season. Mm. If you come out of the gates and you rattle off 16 straight wins in you know, early November through the middle of December, whatever, and then you're going to have your letdown. You're going to have, I mean, that, that's the definition of peaking too early, but then you have enough season left to start ramping back up. Right. Whereas if you peak right at the end of the season and then you go into the playoffs in a little bit of an off notes, that's not, that's not a great, 
recipe for success, I guess. I mean, what's because what, the playoffs are so different too. I also yeah. love how your stat there it ended in a six-six tie. Yeah, that's exactly. a different era of hockey. And and went to overtime, but they they couldn't finish it off. But even then, let's let's say Pittsburgh wins that game and they go into the playoffs with an eighteen-game winning streak. You're not going to sweep through the playoffs. So the second you've lost a playoff game, it just changes mm-hmm. something. Obviously, the playoffs mean more than the regular season streak. Yeah. But you'd like to go into the playoffs just ramping up. Just right. I mean, honestly, if you're going to use, if we're going to stick with the Penguins as the uh, the theme here, the way Pittsburgh went in last year, they were ramping up just as they hit the playoffs. There's always a team that does that, and that's my fear with Columbus. Their high point is right now. There's no way they can hit that again going into the playoffs. Yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. Just a, uh, for quick reference, looking at the other major sports, the 1971-72 Lakers, of course, won 33 straight, which is just That's insane. absurd. But and, it's also the NBA, so it's yeah. probably the 10th Well, longest there's no streak. ties, right? Or, yeah. So you have to keep playing in overtime, so th- that helps in a way. And there's no good teams. Yeah, there's that, there's that too, that there's, there's three or four teams every year that can win the championship, and that's it. That's the truth. Yeah, that's of the pseudo drama of the playoffs where they try to make you believe otherwise. Or the regular season, which is even better. Right. And they won the title, okay. Major League Baseball, the 1916 New York Giants won 26 straight. Oddly, only went 86 and 66. The 1916. They, they finished under the under 500 the rest of the season, but somehow won 26 straight games. That's bizarre to me. Was Yager on that team? <laughs> and then the Indianapolis Colts won 23 straight between uh, 2008-2009. Lost the 2010 Super Bowl, which was at the end of the 09 season. In the NBA, there are six teams that have gone 20 or more, 15 who've gone 18 or more in a row. In Major League Baseball, six teams with 20 or more straight wins, 12 with 18 or more wins. It's amazing how many of these these sports have longer streaks. It doesn't happen as much in the NHL. Yeah, that is, that is especially in baseball. You would figure most baseball streaks aren't going to last that long because you're seeing the same team three or four days in a row. They're going to catch you on one of those. You're going to have a bad pitcher or yeah, something. that's the thing with pitching. That's, that's yeah. exactly what I think of. I would think baseball and football would probably be the two hardest ones to put together because then football... To sustain a 20-game winning streak is to sustain it for over a calendar year. So just to stay in that frame yeah, of mind. Because to be able of to course, do the it. Patriots had the undefeated season, but yeah, yeah. And then they lost yeah. in the Super yeah. Bowl. They, they lost in the Super Bowl too. These teams yeah. seem to lose when it matters it's amazing, most. Huh? It's really it's weird. Before we finish with uh, Columbus, what's going on with Sam Gagne? How is he doing this with John Tortorella as I his coach? I just think it's a good role. I mean, he's playing fourth line minutes, five on five, but then he's playing on the power play. So it's almost like they, they, they really looked at this player and thought, what's the best way to use him? And they found a really good way to use him. It's, it's a really good story. It's a nice story for Sam. Sam's a nice guy. He, he is. You probably talked to him yeah. a bunch while he's here, too. So you'll, you like to see a rebirth of sorts for a guy like that. And, and, and look, when you, when you see the success that the rest of the lineup is having, that's probably helping, too, right? Because, again, as, as Dave Tippett said, it's not like you can focus on one or two guys on this team and take them away. It's... They come at you in waves, and we saw it when they played the Coyotes. It was just—it was insane. It was like the goal was under siege. Well, yeah, this—I mean, we—we've referenced this before, but when we had Redim Verbata on, probably about a month ago, unprompted, we didn't ask Verbata. Sorry, we didn't ask him about Columbus. We asked him who the best teams they faced were up to that point, and at the time, the Coyotes had played a lot of these top teams already, and he unprompted said Pittsburgh, who at the time was at their own winning streak. And, uh, and Columbus, those yep. were the two teams he said. And that was prophetic because, really, that was probably about four games into this winning streak for the Blue Jackets. But back to Gagne for a second. It's not, I'm not shocked that the guy has 14 goals at this point, but that's number two on the Blue Jackets. So it's not, 
we're getting to the point where if you're going to key on somebody on Columbus, maybe he is a guy you key on. But more than anything, it's that he's doing it with John Tortorella as his coach. It's just such an odd marriage. I know we touched on this last yeah. week, but it just keeps going. How many power play points does he have, though? Points, he has six, 13 points, six goals, seven assists. Okay. So, so yeah, that's how that's doing a lot points. of damage on the power play, that's so it's true. hard to key on him in those situations, that's right? That's true. That's, it's just, again, it's just a good role for him. You're right about Tortorella, though. You wouldn't... You wouldn't think, oh yeah, Sam Gagne would be a great fit in John Tortorella's system. Well, no, and I and but, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect Columbus to lead the NHL in goals per game and power play percentage. The goals against that's not a complete stunner. I mean, it is based on what they did last year. But you look at a team that's winning games and you figure, okay, their goalie is returning to Vezina form, and he's I mean Bobrovsky's been amazing this year. But yeah. you wouldn't expect all the offense with this combination. Cam Atkinson has 18 power play. Cam Atkinson blows me away. I just, that's, he's leading the team in, in points and goals, right? And two shorthanded goals. Yeah, it's crazy. They're a fun story. I, I like, I like the great story. story. How much does it push it? I don't mean to diminish this in any way because I'm, I'm loving this story, but how much does it diminish it that two of their wins came via shootout? Do you care? I don't. Yeah. I, um, it is yeah, what it is. It's, I, it's the league today, so be it. Go with it. It's, it's, it is, to a, in, a, you know, in a way, it's apples to oranges when you're comparing these teams to past teams because... You didn't have the shootout before, but so what? It's, but, it's there now. They're winning the games. They're finding a way to win games, and that's all that matters to me. And, and honestly, of these 16 games, only three of them have even gone past regulation. And if One of those shootout wins was over the Coyotes, and it was the third game of the streak. So even if they had lost that, they'd still be on a 13-game winning streak. Hmm. So, And by the way, the Minnesota Wild won 12 straight, and nobody's going to remember it. No, I mean, that's a great point. You brought that up before the show. Like, poor Minnesota. Maybe they don't care. I mean, they've won their 12 in a row. Their fans are going to remember it. They're still in a good spot in the uh, Central Division. In fact, they're getting in a better spot in the Central Division because the Blackhawks have trailed off. But uh, it's remarkable what they did, too. That was a, that was a fun game. On New Year's Eve had some, some intrigue because you had the World Juniors really heating up. You had that game. You had the, the outdoor game. That was the Centennial Classic? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that was, was a fun game. That too. was at the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. That was uh, a game. Do you want was it? <laughs> Do you want to share with everybody what your Fiesta Bowl record now is? Do I should I put that out there? I think you did last time actually. Did I? Did or I mention a couple that? weeks? You, well, you, well, you mentioned Well, I covered Ohio State this week, yeah. this past week, so 0 and 15. Yeah. 0 and 15 covered the losing team in 15 Fiesta Bowls. Just to be clear, so. when they when they send Craig to cover a Fiesta Bowl, he's not just covering like the pageantry of the Fiesta Bowl or like a parade. He's covering one specific team, and that I'm team has never won. going to determine who is going to lose the game. That's why I'm there. Was Ohio State favored in that game? I think they were. I don't think they should have been. No. I can't remember what the line was. I mean, Clemson, when you look from a talent standpoint, I think most people recognize that Clemson was a better team, but Urban Meyer had that crazy 10-2 and record in bowl games. Before I showed up, yeah. <laughs> Craig Morgan clearly did not matter as Ohio State turned yeah, and Urban did. Meyer both turned in their worst bowl performance ever because I covered them. How about the Big Ten? Outscored fifty nine nothing in the last two uh, the playoff games. Back. Yeah, not yeah, no. and every team from the Big Ten three and seven bowl games. I don't remember any of the three. I just remember I remember Michigan, Ohio well, State, and Penn Wisconsin State. beat Western Michigan by one score, okay. uh, which. Yeah. Sorry, I know Western Michigan was a great story, but you should have should have rolled that team. We, we have a big didn't. fan base in Western Michigan, so watch what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Hey, but yeah, Michigan loses. Now, now Michigan played a great game, right? They played. They lost to Florida State. They lost Basically, to Florida State. I don't know if they played field. a great it was, game. It was pretty much a home field advantage for Florida State. It's it's in Florida. Yeah, but they were down considerably for a while. They That's came true. Back. They did come back. 
Yeah, uh, Penn State played the best of those top three teams. But blew a 14-point fourth quarter lead. How much, so, though? Your four heavyweights, the only one that survived was Wisconsin because they got to play Western Michigan. They got to play Western Michigan. Yeah. Um, I will say this. Maybe we don't have a big fan contingency in Western Michigan, and we certainly don't now after your hurtful comments, but... How about the tweet we got that somebody was listening to us in London? That was pretty cool. Not London, Canada, I don't think. No, Either it was, way. It was London, England. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. We're, we're going to go with London, England, even though I'm not certain. I'm pretty sure it was London. We're, we're, we're bridging gaps and yes, we're, we're yeah. uniting the globe. Worldwide. World Juniors, since we're talking about wow. the world. Look at that Look at segue. That segue. It's just brilliant. Uh, I've enjoyed this tournament. I know going in that I enjoy it more than you and, and Jamie. Jamie doesn't enjoy anything, so that doesn't what are we really talking say anything. About? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie lashed out like violently and aggressively when I brought up the World Juniors last week. I'd he much did. rather watch an awful college bowl game, I believe he said with his eyes. Yeah. And actually, he flew halfway across I the country. Watched the Fiesta Bowl. I'm not sure about that anymore. <laughs> I, I might have taken the World Juniors. Well, the final four is set. By the time this podcast gets posted, at least one of the games will be done. But we've got USA, Russia, Canada versus Sweden. No surprises, really. No, but I'd have to go back and look. When's the last time those actually were the final four teams? Yeah, there can be upsets in this tournament. I, I do like that about it. It's there, less predictable. There usually are. Um, what, Canada's won the gold once in like the last six or seven years. Generally speaking, you wrote... You win, and then you don't win again for four or five years. Finland actually won a couple. Yeah. Not back-to-back, but I want to say two and three years. I have the internet. I could look this up. But how about Finland in the relegation portion of the tournament right now? If they lose two of three, they're not even in the tournament next year. They're in that B tournament that's not on TV where you're playing against, like, Brazil. Maybe right. not Brazil. Maybe time to do a story on the state of Finnish hockey. You got sources? Uh, who's been here that's finished? Lori Korpakowski, you want to call him? Cor- the Corpedo. Yeah, Sebastian has to have, have some kind of context there, right? He's, he's probably loving it. Because <laughs> he's, he's Swedish. He absolutely he is. is. It, the, the, the rivalry between Finland and Sweden, because I have some, some pretty strong Finnish pride friends that are you know either have relatives from there or, or grew up there or whatever, play hockey. They don't like Sweden and vice versa. It's not, uh, I mean, the two Scandinavian countries where they're always happy, so it's not like that bitter of a rivalry, but they don't, they don't enjoy seeing the other one succeed. So what are your thoughts on the rest of this tournament? Well, the U.S. hasn't trailed yet, right? which concerns me. Yeah, you, don't, you get a little bit of adversity here. He could fall in the semifinals, and then it would be a disappointment after playing so well in this yeah. tournament. And they always seem to get eliminated by Russia in these tournaments. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they've been fun to watch. Clayton Keller's really fun. Right. Uh, they've Clayton got Keller and Dylan Strome, a couple of Coyotes prospects, tied for third in scoring in this tournament. Right near the top, yeah. It's, Eight points, yeah. It's been uh, the the... The game that stood out to me, actually, the U.S.-Canada game, I don't, you probably didn't get to watch this. I remember, every, like I said, everything's a blur around the holidays. It didn't even feel like Canada was in that game. I remember getting a text from you saying, well, Canada's not very good at hockey today. Well, yeah. I do remember they, they were. Yeah. They, their, their one goal, final score was 3-1. Canada had two extended five-on-threes and finally cashed in on one of the five-on-threes. They had a five-minute power play that was part of that five-on-three. and They just weren't there. I would assume that if it's Canada-U.S. in the finals that's uh, Canada's going to show up for that one because they just they looked off. Yeah, in your home country, you gotta, you gotta, you got to bring a little more. But they're still, I mean, they're still, they're still time. They're alive. That's yeah. All that matters. They're, in, they're into this round. So. And you have that sort of extra pressure because you're in your home country. But I've talked to two Coyotes in the last couple weeks that played. Anthony Duclair was on the team when they won. Mm-hmm. And who's, I'll talk to Lawson Krause, who I believe was on the team when they won and was also on the team last year. 
And I asked him what it's like to, A, to play for Team Canada, because there is clearly so much more pressure, and then, B, to be playing in Canada. And they both of them said it's it's actually good pressure, though. If, now, Duclair won, so obviously yeah. it's probably the better pressure. too, so that helps. Yeah, but the second I'm you sure. lose... Yeah, well, yeah, there's that. So... You face a lot of criticism. Uh, Clayton Keller is an interesting story. I, I got a chance to talk to Kaita's GM, John Chaika, about him yesterday because I've, I've always wondered where they project him. And I don't, after talking to John Chaika, I don't think they actually know. He, they list him at 5'10". You and I both know from interviewing him this summer that he is not 5'10". He's, he's my height. What are you? Well, yeah. Do we have to say that? On no, the I guess we don't. We're just going to okay. assume you're less than 5'10". Let's, he's less than, let's just say under 5'10". Okay. All right. Clayton Keller's under 5'10". Considerably 5'10". under 5'10". It's like when Steve Nash played for the Suns and he was listed at 6'2". Right, right. And I, I'm like 6'1". I always think that they put these measurements out with skates on. There, that'll give you an idea. But how do you how explain Steve Nash? Yeah, I don't, I don't He wasn't. Well, he's Canadian, so he, he probably had skates. Like Prince platforms or something? At, Maybe. Usually when he played, Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think he liked those. Get <laughs> him on the show and ask him. <laughs> but here's what John Chaika said about this yesterday when I asked him if he projects as a center or a wing. I think he can definitely play center... And he's talking about guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Drouin, who some projected as centers when they came in the league. He said, I always, I always saw those guys as wingers. For me, Clayton is more of a center than those guys. He's more involved defensively. I think he's better on face-offs. Those are really important parts of the game. So I'm thinking, okay, so the Coyotes are thinking about him as a center. And then he kept going. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, you're trying to optimize a player. And when your skills are in the offensive zone, off the rush, sometimes the wing is a better spot for it. Right now, he's playing the wing, and he looks good there. I think the ability to play all three forward positions, which is what Clayton possesses, is a strength. So I, it's sort of a wait and see here. I still think this guy projects as a wing in the NHL. I, you can say he's good on faceoffs at his current level and defensively, but when he matches up against much bigger centers down low, that's a really tough job for a small guy. I, just, I don't see that happening. A couple of thoughts on him, and I, I've seen him play a little bit in junior, obviously in this tournament, uh, when he was out here in the uh, the summer in the, the red and white prospect game for the Coyotes. Uh, he was he was compared to Patrick Kane. That was sort of his, like, it's weird when they do these draft comparisons. Nobody's, nobody thinks Clayton Keller is going to be Patrick Kane, but that's the sort of style of player he can be. So it's interesting you bring him up as a guy that projected maybe as a center and is obviously a great wing. Uh to me, Keller, and they're very high on him. Obviously, they took him with, what, the seventh pick. They had two first-round picks this year when all was said and done. He's kind of the forgotten prospect in the Coyotes system because, you know, th- this was the draft where Austin Matthews got drafted. So if you're a Coyotes fan, you're like, well, we should get the guy that's, that's local. And then you look and you say, well, we got Chikrin in the first round because they traded up later. I think Keller is going to be a very productive NHL player. I really, I think he's going to be a point-producing goal scorer but I don't know that he's a center. I think he's going to do it as a winger. That, and that's fine. You can use dynamic players on offense. Yeah. still use more of those. And I'd love to see him here soon. I mean, he's playing college hockey right now. so. And you can take face-offs as a winger. It's not like if you're playing wing, you're banned from the face-off circle. He right. can take some of the offensive I just, zone. Again, you, know, you see what I'm saying, you know, down low in, in those battles. Oh, yeah. I think, I think that's really hard for a player of his size. And even if he can do it, it goes back to what John Chaika says in, in your quote. Are you are you maximizing right. his abilities if he's trying to fight? Right. Have him score the goals. Let him be in space. Yeah, exactly. Let he's dangerous in space. in space. A couple other things to touch on before we get to uh, bring in our boss. So we'll have to be on our Bruce best Springsteen will be here shortly. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn Wilkie will be here shortly. Um, but a couple things that that's uh, well, simple, simple news that Stephen Stamkos is off crutches. Uh, I mean, Tampa Bay. We've talked about this already. They're they miss him badly apparently because they're just. 
they're struggling right around right around that playoff line. We keep wondering if they're going to hit a streak here and get themselves into playoff position. I still think they have too much talent not to, but whew, I don't know when he's coming back. It's a good sign, at least. He, I, I saw a picture of him riding a bike the other day. So, Like a tandem bike with the Ryan brothers? not a tandem bike, oh, no. Okay. No, there was no basket either with a with a dog in it. With Jonathan Drouin sitting in front cackling pointing. like a witch. Oh, okay. He wasn't pedaling through the air. Sorry, no. <laughs> anyway, I got another <laughs> more to say on that. Other than speedy recovery, Steven Sam goes, the, the game misses you. The other thing I wanted to bring up, Evgeny Malkin is now number one, as, as of right now. I, I don't know about post-time for this podcast, but number one in the league in points, and Sidney Crosby is number three. So I decided to go back and look and see when the last time was two players from the same team finished 1-2 over a full season. Uh, Marty San Luis and Steven Samkos did it in the lockout year for Tampa Bay. Which lockout year? There's been like 12. Well, the one where they actually played games. Can I go back retroactive? That's a great point. A couple episodes ago, you brought up the 100th anniversary, 100th anniversary of the NHL, and you said the NHL played their first game on December 16th or whatever. Mm-hmm. Was there a lockout in the very first season of the NHL that delayed the start, or was that just when they started their season? Uh, I, I'll have to go back and look at my notes. Okay. <laughs> I think I still have that notebook. Okay, that's great. Okay. But the last time it happened, did you know, you know, actually, I sent this to you, didn't I? Yeah. And I read it. It's pretty cool because they, there, were, there were some near misses um, when uh, Evgeny Malkin and Crosby went 1-3 and three in 8 9 Naslin and Bertuzzi did this. Solani and Korea did this 2-3. and three. The last time it happened, 1-2, 95-96, same team. Pittsburgh Penguins, Mario Lemieux and Yaramir Yager went 1-2 and two in scoring. And, and just to, to kind of bring it back to the 90s, if you weren't a big hockey fan in the 90s and how different the game was, not only were Lemieux and Yager 1-2 in scoring, they combined for 310 points. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And that same team, which, by the way, did not win the Stanley Cup. In fact, they didn't get to the Stanley Cup. Ron Francis was fourth that year with 119 points. He was a Penguin. And Peter Nedved was 13th with 99 points. So you had four players combine for close to 600 points. Am I doing the math right? 500 points. That's absurd. It is absurd. And I just, yeah, I, I keep thinking about that. When I look back at the rosters of those teams, the Pittsburgh Penguins, how did they not win more championships? That's a great I, question. I don't get it. I 528 get points between the four of them. Sick. All no, right, let's, it, let's go. It is so. a great point, actually, though, just because when Crosby and Malkin won their cup, their first cup, after all that, there was constant talk about how this team's underachieving. Mary Lemieux is one of the four or five best players probably of all time, and they won those two early cups and never won again. So this is strange. Uh, real quick, too, back to your, your Stamkos point kind of leading into Toronto. Toronto might make the playoffs. Mm. They're right there. They're tied with Tampa, which is why I'm thinking of it. Us? Is, is this your rant here? Well, no, because we're going to have Carolyn on. I'll, I, I'm sure this rant will be timely in a week or two or three or four as well. But Austin Matthews is on pace for 44 goals right now. So I'm going to ask you a question, Craig. Is there any chance... He ends up being a better uh, – how do I want to word this? Is there any chance he ends up being better than McDavid? Uh, look, I'm a huge Matthews fan for obvious reasons. He's from here. He's a great guy. McDavid seems like he's a great guy as well. I think McDavid, when you look back at the end of their careers, boy, they sure both look like Hall of Famers right now early on. I think we're going to look back and say McDavid was probably the more dynamic player. But Matthews has the Maple Leafs two points out of a playoff spot. Austin Matthews can score goals. And like we said, he steps up in the big situations. The goal in his first game against the Coyotes, the yeah. first goal, an assist in the first point in his first game in Phoenix. 
four goals in his first NHL game. We've said this before, but then there was the Centennial Classic, and he steps up with two goals in the game winner in overtime. I mean, he likes the spotlight. He doesn't act like it. He acts very mild-mannered off the ice. You raise the stakes of a game, and he steps up. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a fun argument to have over the years as these two players progress. It, I didn't think it was going to be an argument. Not to, yeah, neither did I, to okay. be honest. I, I thought McDavid was in the class by himself, and we'll have to wait and see. It's, it's way too Might early still to make be. these assessments yet. <laughs> With what McDavid's doing already in year two, it just... 91 career points in 84 career yeah, games. Yeah, that's sick. That early in your career, that's ridiculous. But, but just 14 goals this year. I mean, yeah. maybe not the dynamic goal scorer. Right, it's, and that's okay, right, if you're, you're, if you're creating offense for your oh, teammates, yeah. Yeah. Which, is, which is sexier to watch, probably the goal scorer. So the argument will be there. It might be similar to a Crosby-Oveshkin argument for a little while, although I think there's more elements to Matthew's game this, at this point in his career than there were to Oveshkin's, actually. From, from being a complete player, I think Austin Matthews is pretty close to a complete player well, already. And if you had told me two years ago, this is going to be like Crosby Ovechkin for the next generation, I would have put Matthews more in the Crosby range. Mm. And, cause, just because, you're right, it's, it's, more, it's more entertaining to see the goal scorer. But to me, McDavid is one of the two or three most entertaining players in the league to watch already. Just because when he has the puck, you just... Throttle if, down. Yeah, if you're a fan of the other team, you don't feel good. Like your no, stomach hurts. No. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got to bring in Carolyn now? Yeah, well, like you said, she's our boss, so we have to bring her in. Okay. All right, we're joined now by the managing hockey editor here at FanRag Sports. Carolyn Wilkie joins us. You can find her on Twitter at Classlicity, so C-L-A-S-S-L-I-C-I-T-Y. Carolyn joins us now. We're just going to talk all sorts of hockey with you, Carolyn, so hopefully you're ready for this. Sounds good. Okay. Actually, i got to start with a question. Oh, boy. I want to know what's behind the Twitter handle. I've never um, asked. Honestly, it's just a silly word I kind of made up. Um, I really don't, it's, you know, I've had it for years and years now. <laughs> so it was one of those things where it's, uh, why is there not a shorter word for classlessness? <laughs> and so it became classlessness. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> That's one of the best answers we've did, heard to a question you, like did that. Did you tag yourself with that label or did, did someone else do that? <laughs> What is that about? What is classlessness? Why classlessness? I don't know. I just thought it was a funny word. (laughs) It's a really good word. (laughs) I was like, this is a great word. (laughs) I'm I'm all about embracing the silly parts of life. So that's my my Twitter handle. All right, Luke, I want to hear this segue into analytics after that comment. Go ahead. Well, how about this? If you you look on Carolyn's Twitter page, the the, the main background is an analytic chart. So we'll start there. It's very pretty. It is. Maybe it's just a really nice design. I can't tell. But uh, we'll start there because, Carolyn, we've obviously been talking about Columbus for most of this show, and we're going to – we're going to segue off that for in just a second, but they've won 16 in a row as we're recording this. In terms of analytics or even just the eye test from what you've seen from the Blue Jackets, Craig and I both think this is a team that doesn't win the Cup this year, even though they are now currently favored, but that they are a team that has arrived, and, and this isn't a fluke. They're not going away anytime soon. No, they're, they're playing the right way to earn those wins. So everything you're seeing from the Blue Jackets is entirely a product of work. Now, it doesn't hurt, don't get me wrong, that Bobrovsky is going on, you know, Vezina-like streaks. Like, this is what he did when he won the Vezina. But uh, they're playing the right way. So, first and foremost, at 5-on-5, they're not necessarily the most dominant team in the NHL, but they're certainly above average. Um, Both their shot attempts for per hour are above average. 
and their shot attempts against per hour are below average, which is good. And then if you look even at the more high-danger shots, um, if you use scoring chances, and I like to use the Corsica hockey definition because everybody has their own, Columbus is generating almost 10 scoring chances per 60 minutes of five-on-five play. The average is 8.4. Wow. So they're right about average defensively in scoring chances at 8.56, but they're really above average. They're getting to the net a lot. And when you have a power play that's clicking like their power play is, and you're getting to the net during even strength, you're going to win a lot of games. I, you touched on something there I, I wanted to bring up, and I know Craig wanted to ask this too, so I'm just going to steal his question because I think it's a good that's one. That's how this works. Yeah, that's pretty okay. much how the show works. For a lot of the listeners that have just grown up following hockey and then they want to get into hockey analytics and you go online and there's 7,000 different stats and some of them contradict each other, what are maybe three or four analytic stats that you really you, you believe in and, and you think that you know if somebody's just trying to get into it and they just want to look at a couple, which, which are the ones that you think they should emphasize? Um, I think the first thing you need to learn as a neophyte is really to just look at stats in a um, game state perspective because when you look at something all situations, you're really getting a lot of noise in there because what if you have a team that's on the power play a lot? That's going to change things. If they're scoring on the power play a lot but they're not scoring at even strength, that's going to change things. So you really want to be able to break things down into the different game states, look at all of those independently. Um, so, again, if we're looking at Columbus, they're okay at five on five, which is the bulk of your minutes during a game. About 48 minutes per game are played at five on five. So that's the one that most people use. Um, then, as far as the actual stats are concerned, I like looking at shot attempts the best. I think um, that gives you the most information. Um, and I prefer looking at them as a rate. So in hockey, because a game is 60 minutes, most rates are expressed as per 60 minutes. So you have shots, shot attempts for, and then shot attempts against per 60 minutes. And that gives you a good idea of how well they're generating offense and how well they're um, playing defensively. Okay. I like it. How much do you, when you're looking at a team like Columbus, for instance, that's, that's had a lot of leads lately, how, how much do you look at how they play with the lead and how that impacts shot attempts, et cetera, in other words, the close? Well, I actually don't do that. Um, everything I look at as far as stat is concerned is what's called score adjusted. And that's really important because when you play with a lead, and this happens in every sport, not just hockey, but basketball and soccer as well, you tend to sit back a little bit and let the other team try to come to you and then capitalize on mistakes. And this is well known that it's a phenomenon. So the idea is that if you're generating shot attempts, even if you have a lead, especially if you have a lead, I should say, then those shot attempts are actually more valuable. And so doing what's called score adjusting, which is something that you find on almost every website, um, if you're looking at Corsica Hockey, which, again, is the one I use most, or um, HockeyViz, all of those are what's called score adjusted. So that basically pretends that gives some sort of value to shot attempts when playing with elite. So for me, because I'm already looking at score adjusted numbers, I don't have to look at what they do when they play with the lead. Okay. 
Carolyn, when you look around the uh, the NHL right now, we're, we're closing in on the halfway point. In terms of just maybe some underlying analytics, are there any? Is there a team that stands out to you as maybe I don't want to say a fraud, but a team that might be setting themselves up for maybe a bit of a fall or regression in the second half of the season? Or if there's not a team like that, maybe a, a club that's towards the bottom of the standings that you could see going on a nice run here. Um, a team definitely setting themselves up for a fall would be Ottawa. Okay. They're um, the Atlantic is pretty wide open at this point, uh, but Ottawa is one of the worst teams in the league at shot attempt differential, um, which is not a good sign. Like <laughs> they <laughs> they generate uh, okay amounts of scoring chances. They're a little bit below average in scoring chances in the dangerous shots, um, but just from a pure total number of shots perspective, the ice gets tilted in their opponent's favor pretty much on a nightly basis. So they've had some excellent goaltending this year. Craig Anderson's huge story. He's been playing great for them, but their record is really strangely good for a team that's not playing very well. Anybody on the flip side of that? Um, I think on the flip side of that, um, you'll see L.A. really start to climb the rankings. What's been, I mean, kind of almost exactly the flip side. They're playing like they always have been. They've had great shot attempts numbers. That's why they're kind of a fancy stats darling. But they've really had to deal with a lot of uncertainty in the net. And right now you've got Pierre Guy playing out of his mind. So now you're starting to see them rack up the wins. And that's really kind of the difference is they, they've had to adjust quite a bit to uh, goaltending they weren't expecting to need this year. Well, that's interesting, too, because we've talked about L.A. a lot on this show, and they're in a wide-open division right now in, in the Pacific as uh, as well, and then Ottawa. Ottawa, I think, is a team that doesn't seem to pass the eye test either, so I'm, I'm uh, intrigued that you mentioned them as well, that the stats don't necessarily back them up. Is there, you know, we look at some of these teams that have been sort of surprising this year, and obviously a team that's getting a lot of buzz right now, is Toronto, because they're not that far out of a playoff spot. And this is a team that traditionally hasn't been great uh, analytically because they just haven't had great players. Is that a a club that could hang around here? I mean, they're two points out of a spot right now. Is there any chance that they're still fighting for a a playoff contention in three months? Yeah, I mean, I think they definitely have a shot. I think because they play in the Atlantic, again, they have a much better shot at it than they do if they played in the Metro. But they're definitely one of those teams the, the secret to Toronto's success is that they play so fast. Their pace, again, if we're looking at like actual pace of play, like I was saying, like a rate stat, they are doing really well in like an overall percentage as shot attempts. So their core seat uh, is 51, which is good. But the way they're doing it is that they have the highest pace of shot four of anyone in the NHL at 63, but they also have one of the highest paces of shots against at 60. So they do definitely have some defensive weaknesses, but that hasn't stopped teams from getting in the playoffs before. It just means that even if they do make the playoffs, it's unlikely they'll be able to sustain, you know, a good seven-game streak to win their series. Let's talk a little bit about individuals as well, uh, sort of along these same lines. Uh, Anybody that surprises you with what they're doing maybe something that's unsustainable. And on the flip side, is there anyone that's surprising you not producing where they should this season? Um, unsustainable. I don't think it's necessarily unsustainable, but to kind of go back to 
the Blue Jackets is I love to see Cam Atkinson Cam really start getting recognized. Glad you brought him up because I was thinking about him. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I've noticed, though, with him, and I was actually looking at this because I was comparing right before their big clash against the Wild in the historic win streak game, um, is that he actually doesn't generate a whole or isn't on ice for a whole lot of offensive even strength. A lot of where he's getting his points from is on the power play, much like the team. But, it, I mean, just compared even to his own teammates, he's really much lower at even strength, which is a little bit surprising. Um, I don't think it's necessarily unsustainable because, again, he's still going to get all of those power play minutes. Yeah. Um, but I was a little shocked to see that and just how well he's doing even with that. Anybody underachieving? Um, I'm a big Dallas Stars fan, so I'm going to pick <laughs> on my own team here. <laughs> see, um, I, I just left this wide yeah, open this for you. Coming. See what I did here? <laughs> uh, I'm really disappointed in Jamie Benn this season, which is – a that, you know strange thing to say when he's still actually I think he's still six, or second on our team in points right behind Tyler Sagan. But not goals. Um, and I I put this out there a while ago, and uh, but I'm pretty confident he's been playing injured most of this season. And I mean he's really injured now, like he's not going to play tonight against Montreal. Um, but his shot rates are down. His and I'm, I'm not a big advocate of hits. But his hits are down, and the Stars haven't been a good possession team. And typically, if you are you know, have less possession, you have more hits, right? Because that's the idea. Yeah. Um, and he's just not playing like himself. He's not getting to the front of the net. Um, he's not generating scoring chances like he usually does. So he's having a really off season for somebody who's still second on the team in points. Yeah, 10 goals for a guy that I believe he had 110 over the last three years combined. Caroline, I want to ask, yeah. you, I ask you just you, what the, uh, I don't want to say the state of analytics, but the whole situation with Florida earlier this season, there, there seemed to be some backlash from just the, the sort of common fan of, of how this was, how this approach was taken. And obviously Florida is their own individual situation, and it's not fair to pin all that just on, on analytics. That's a whole different thing. But what do you, what, what's the sort of perception or, or feeling around the league right now uh, in terms of just using analytics as opposed to maybe it was even a year or two ago? Um, I think <laughs> I, I think some of it has been blown out of proportion with the, the Panthers stuff. Um, I think, so it's interesting. So over the summer, I actually had the opportunity to uh, interview uh, Steve Burrier and Eric Joyce, who are the new assistant GM okay. for the Panthers. And uh, right at, you know, kind of the, the end of the year, I was going back over some of the best stuff I've written, and I reread this piece, and it struck me just how much they emphasized that Talon was still going to be a part of their structure and their decision-making structure in June. Okay. So for me, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't really quite get where a lot of this is coming from, that he's just now making decisions. When in June, they were like, he's going to be making decisions. Um, so I think that's a little bit overblown. What I think you're seeing is that people are really taking this analytics uh, renaissance into kind of an all-or-nothing place, mm-hmm. and no analyst worth their salt will say, we're right 100% of the time, because that's just poor analysis. So when you see guys saying Toronto's not using analytics anymore because Lamarillo is a really old school hockey guy, 
Well, that's just not true. And in fact, I think it was pretty well demonstrated uh, very recently when uh, Sai Okabayashi actually gave an interview about his time with the devil because he was their analyst. And while Lou had a very different approach to analytics, he kind of had, had a siloed process for them. He definitely used them. So I think there's, there's a tendency, because it's an easy narrative, to be like, oh, this one guy doesn't want to do this one thing that analysts say they should do, therefore analytics are out. I also think that there's this, uh, and along the line of narratives, I think there's this narrative out there that, oh, these, these guys want too much power. They've, they've been put in too much positions of power, and now they're, they're, they're sort of pulling the reins a little bit. I don't think that was ever the case with any of these organizations. I, I think it's more of what you're saying. It's a, it's a balance, and these things are still at play. I know they're still at play with the Coyotes. And, and, and again, I know Dave Tibbet takes hits as, as being a non-analytics guy. Nothing could be further from the truth, and he and John Chaika are are using a lot of these numbers, very, very much so using a lot of these numbers. I just don't, I, I don't know why, I don't know why there's still such a pushback from old school NHL people about analytics, why they have such a hard time accepting this. It, I don't know if you have any more insights than I do. It's just, it's, it's just a weird culture that exists in this league. I think it's human nature. I think there is a lot for a lot of people to lose if they're proved wrong. If your entire livelihood is based upon you giving your opinions for money and you are giving incorrect opinions or bad information to whoever it may be, whether it's you work for an NHL team or whether you're a media member, then you're probably going to lose that job or lose that you know, respect. And analytics can provide some a reasonably objective context to hockey, which can threaten that ability to give good, to give uh, opinions. I guess the, the question then is, why not just incorporate them? Yeah. Why, why, not, why not adapt? Just adapt, exactly. Um, some people are stubborn. I don't know. <laughs> I think what you're just seeing, though, I think, I think as far as teams are concerned, most teams have adapted. And there's a lot of teams who do a lot of analytics work that you don't see because it's not public. Um, I think the one worry I do have with that is that there's a lot of stats companies out that are coming out with data and things like that. And a lot of teams are looking for data. What they're not doing is combining that with good analysis. So, like, recently when you saw Chiarelli's comments about Chris Russell being as good as Vlasic, well, okay, maybe he had this one metric that was as good as Vlasic, but does that make him as a player as good as Mark Edward Elastic? Probably not. So you've got to have both data and quality analysis that isn't afraid to challenge norms. Looking around the league, too, one other, one other question I have for you before we get to predictions here, uh, Carolyn. Anybody, I guess team or individual, has anybody surprised you this year just across the board? Like, look at a team like Edmonton that maybe isn't a complete surprise, but they've surprised some people in the fact that they've maintained right near the top of the Pacific Division. But has any, anything stood out to you, either good or bad, early on this season? I'm really surprised that the Predators are doing as poorly as they yeah, are. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, I mean, first and foremost, P.K. Subban has done really great for them. Like, it's, let's not base it on the trade at all. What's very surprising is that they're still going through the same scoring issues they've had. 
Um, it's a bit surprising that Rene is still so streaky and so inconsistent. I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised by that, but I really thought he was going to be better this year. Yeah, no, I did too. And so, yeah, I think that, that would be I, – I mean, I've had them as a kind of a pick of mine for – a real strong playoff contender, and now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe they won't make the playoffs. Yeah, I, had, I think I had them winning the division this year. I really thought that that team would take a step up. And by the way, you should go on a Montreal radio station and deliver that message you just delivered about the trade. I'm sure it would play well up there because they're all convinced that it, they've won the trade, hands well. down. Neither one is playing poorly. Like no. that's, that's, I mean, that's okay. That happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's get to some predictions. We won't, we won't keep you too much longer here, but we each want to throw out uh, a few predictions here. Uh, what do you see coming um, for the rest of the season, the second half of the season? Um, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on a prediction I made before the season started. Sidney Crosby wins the Art Ross. I approve and of I, that. And I made that before he went out with his, his concussion. So for a while I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to be super wrong. <laughs> but I think, I think that's definitely going to happen. Uh, I've got one here I'll throw out and see what you guys have to, to say about it. I think at the moment, what are we looking at? Four, six Canadian teams could still make the playoffs, <laughs> realistically. I mean, after last year when none did. How many are in? I'm going to say four make it this year. and, Ooh, and I'm not a even, big improvement. I'm not going to necessarily tell you which four because, you know, maybe Ottawa or Toronto makes it. And I don't feel good about Ottawa, and Carolyn just made me feel even less good about Ottawa. But I, I do think four <laughs> find their way in. So Craig won't be singing this year. <laughs> I could come up with a different song. Yeah, that's true. I think Austin Matthews is going to win Rookie of the Year. That's over, yeah. over Patrick Laine. Okay. May still finish ahead of him in points, but what I, I just first of all, he plays in the market he plays in. That's really going that to helps. help. Yeah. But I, he's a center. He, he impacts the game in so many ways. And gosh, he's, well, also he's, the Jets aren't going to make the playoffs. And if there's one thing we know about uh, yeah. the votes for that. Is that making the playoffs is almost more important than anything else? That's I just true. I love the way he he's such a complete player already. It's I, I wrote this column uh, when he was here, but it amazes me when a guy is able to live up to this kind of hype. It's really yeah. hard to do as a rookie in that market and carrying all that he's carrying with him. He's been fantastic. I would he's say just he's been spectacular. Exceeded it. Actually, he may, yeah, he probably points, has, which is amazing. Do you have any uh, any more predictions for us, Carolyn? Um, I think, oh gosh, I'm trying to figure, I, I think Minnesota goes out in the first round. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one because I'm with you on it. Depending who they play, I'm with you on it. No, I think it doesn't matter who they play. I think they go out in the first round. Oh, wow. Okay. I think my Chicago Blackhawks are in big trouble too. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I think they're in big trouble. Can you settle this? Because I'm convinced they're just going to the Stanley Cup again. And and Blackhawks fans are wringing their hands over not nothing, but when you look around the rest of the Western Conference, everybody's flawed. And Craig is convinced that they're going to get, like, contracted out of the league tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Blackhawks aren't a good team this year. They're not. No. They, um, They are a great shooting team. And they have probably one of the best goaltending tandems in the league. And those two things are going to take them very far right now. But their depth isn't working very well. Um, they are not controlling the ice, especially not the dangerous areas of the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they are the third worst scoring chances for percentage team per Corsica hockey in the NHL right now. So let me piggyback on this then before we let you go. Who do you like coming out of the Western Conference? Because when Jamie's on the show, the three of us all have a different team. And 
I'm not even sure I remember. I think Jamie had San Jose, Craig has St. Louis, and I have Chicago. But who do you like? I think I'm with Jamie. I'm going to go San Jose again. Which, it, I mean, it's so hard. But San Jose does the right thing. Um, they don't have a whole lot of de- I'm a little worried about their forward depth. Um, but they do the right thing. And they can buckle down. And Martin Jones has been good. I don't think, I don't think there's anything to worry about with San Jose. Carolyn Wilkie, the managing editor here at FanRag. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, Carolyn agree, agreed with most of the things I, I'm thinking, so we're, we're going to have her back on. Okay. <laughs> Whether she wants to come back on or not. All right, thanks a lot, Carolyn. Thank you, Carolyn. All right, to get a little uh, further insight on one of the top teams in hockey, the Chicago Blackhawks, we're joined now by Scott Powers, the uh, writer for the Athletic Chicago. You can find him on Twitter, at by Scott Powers. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I'm going to let Craig start off with the uh, the first question here, but I think ultimately throughout this interview, you're going to you're going to settle a debate between myself and Craig. Okay. <laughs> well, let's start with the the news you broke recently, uh, Artemi Panarin coming back for two years, twelve million. Um, I guess, Scott. My first question is, how the heck are the Blackhawks going to manage this with their cap situation? Yeah, it's it's going to take some finagling. Um, uh, you know, I, I think there's some factors that we're, we're just not aware of yet, or I guess we'll see how it plays out. One is uh, Panarin's bonuses. You know, he, he's in line for, uh, you know, if, if he has the same kind of season he did last year, he, he can make close to uh, what the 2.6 million in performance bonuses. Uh, the Schedule B bonuses is a bigger one where he's you know finished the top 10 points and sort of the league category. So, um, you know, right now he, he's put himself in a good position. Um, a lot of hot to be played. So. Um, you know, if he doesn't hit that bonus, it, it, it allows some room for the Blackhawks. Um, obviously, the, the cap ceiling, you know, I've, I've heard as high as $76 million. Um, You know, obviously probably as low as it, it's standing still, too. So um, the, the more, you know, the higher the ceiling it is, the better for the Blackhawks. Um, you know, if Marcus Kruger is kind of taking an expansion draft, that's a possibility. Um, so there are a lot of factors where um, – it can alleviate some of this concern for Blackhawks, um, you know, before they even have to really deal with the bigger question. But um, they need some of those things to happen. They probably need uh, a larger salary off the books. I mean, Kruger um, is a one possibility where he just signed, uh, you know, for three about a little bit around three million for three years. So that's a, that's a chance. Seabrook's contract, um, you know, he just got a big big figure. But the fact that he signed for for eight years, it, it kind of wonders whether the Blackhawks are willing to trade him and two, if anyone's interested in it. So um, there are a lot of different uh, scenarios this way can play out, but um, I think for the Blackhawks, the priority was uh, getting Panarin sealed up and making sure that he doesn't, um, even though he's restricted, you know, not allow him to uh, give someone a chance to get an offer sheet or for that price tag to go up. And, uh, you know, for two years, uh, no one was really expecting a bridge deal, but this allows, um, you know, Panarin to get paid in the short term. Um, and the Blackhawks kind of figure it out long term how to maybe you know afford him again when the next contract uh, is time for that. Well, let's talk a little bit more about affording this in the short term. You know, I, if if he does get some of those bonuses and he's in good shape to do so, they they do have to make another move. And I mean, we were already seeing it this year, Scott. How how much can you continue to erode any sort of forward depth that this team has? In order to you know fit the very top players in, there's there's no question this team has ridiculous skill at the top of its lineup. But 
we're already seeing the effects of it, I think, on their lineup. And, you know, they're in this, they're in this little bit of a slide now. And if you look at some of the underlying analytics, they're not favorable to the Blackhawks. How, what, what is the, I guess, the internal feeling about that? How do they continue to be a contender, which is all the Blackhawks are allowed to be, really, at this point? Yeah, no, I, I think the big thing is they eventually need they need their prospects to be to be good. Um, you know, a, a guy like Nick Schmaltz, who was in North Dakota last year, won a national championship. Um, you know, was was a top ten, uh, I think, in assists and in points in NCAA. He was, he was up there, and uh, a guy that had a lot of promise. But um, you know, to come in and throw him right on the NHL team at 20 years old, and um, you know, it, it just didn't work out. And the Blackhawks were certainly hoping that would be the case where he came in and clicked. Um, so they need guys like that to, uh, you know, improve. And then, uh, you know, down the line, as, as they start looking at more prospects, they need those guys to be real. There's, there's, um, there's, there's a real big handful of players now averaging a point a game in various leagues and in Canada and, um, you know, in college right now. Where they're, uh, there's a lot of hope for these players, but they need those players to be, um, you know, not to be ready right away. But, you know, down the line, next two years, they, they really need to really rely on those guys more because when you talk about Panarin's, next contract and um you know having to pay other guys some more money uh coming up here and, and still having to do those larger contracts from Kane and Taves and Seabrook and uh, down the line uh, it's only going to get harder because I mean the cap isn't expected to go up, you know that much to, to be able to allow them um the freedom to you know just to, to pay whoever they want so um I, I think you know it, it's really relying on those young guys and, and we saw how many young guys they put in the lineup this year and um, and you're starting to see some of those guys not work out where, where Schmaltz went down after 25 games. He went to the AHL, and they sent Tyler Mott down yesterday to Rockford. And, um, you know, them having to decide that, you know, some of these guys just aren't ready. And, uh, you know, a couple of guys that worked out all right were, um, you know, I think Ryan Hartman's been pretty good and, um, you know, shown some consistency. And um, But but overall, you know, it's you know, kept me and Forsling him in and out of the lineup and, um, the Blackhawks really bank on these younger guys being really good at the start, and um, it hasn't been the case. And they've been saved by um, one by Golden and Crawford and Darling have both been good. But then also Hosa's, you know, had his a huge bounce back year, and Anisov's been better than probably expected. So um, the Blackhawks are finding other ways to get by, and and you are starting to see some of that slide. Um, you know, as of late, I think they've lost five of the last six, and, um, and and some of that. You know, a lot of people thought that they'd eventually come back to. Um, they come back to earth a little bit just because they were relying so much on on clutch goals and one goal you know one goal wins and their goaltending. So um, I, I don't know if that improves this year. I, I really don't know unless the Blackhawks make a trade, and I'm not sure how they do that uh, with, with so very little cap space and um, you know hoping for a miracle because uh, you know this team doesn't have as much depth as they had in in past cup runs. Scott, you mentioned some of these long-term deals, like you know Kane and Taves and Seabrook and Keith are all signed forever, and then even Hosa and Anisimov and, and Crawford are signed for a while. Uh, you know, if you're winning cups, then it's a success and it's the right strategy. But is there a thought, maybe either around the team or with yourself or just people covering the team, that there are going to be lean years, four or five years down the line, where this team's really struggling because they're still going to have money tied up in guys that won't be as good then? Yeah, no, I mean that has to be the Blackhawks' fair, you know. Until it uh, until it happens, I guess we'll see. But you know, when when you look at uh, you know four or five years down the road, where where, where Seabrooks in his in his late thirties, and um, you know Hosa still has a bunch of years on his contract. He's he, you know he, he's played well this year, but how how much longer can he play at that rate? And um, you know, thought with even with Hosa was that he'd be a maybe a top nine guy where he gets into more of a defensive role and. 
Um, he's found this offense uh, offensive resurgence, but yeah, that it can't really be expected as he gets near near 40. And um, you know Crawford's playing well, and uh, you know I, I don't think you have that much to worry about Cannon Taves at this point. But um, you know Keith was even with his knee injury before the season, um, you, you can't imagine that's you know he's going to be maybe that same player, and, and you've seen a dip in his numbers a little bit this year too. So um, again, you know it's it's difficult because you do have so much money. Um, and years invested in those guys, um, and it's not like you can spend that money elsewhere. So they really need those those prospects to be good. And um, you know, a guy like Gustav Forsling, who's who's 20, and he, he's had some shakiness to share as a defenseman. But um, you know, in the next few years, if, if he takes a step, and you know, if you have Schmaltz and um, some of these guys coming up, then then maybe it eases a little bit. But um, yeah, at some point, the Blackhawks have to fear that you know if those prospects aren't what they expect them to be. Um, they, they can't really rely on Seabrook and Keith to be, um, you know, the guys carrying 25, 26 minutes a game at, um, later later in their careers. Looking at the forwards, there's another guy that you mentioned that is off of just about everybody's radar, Maxim Shalunov over in Russia. Anything further that you've been able to find out about him? I know he's, he's having a heck of a season in the KHL, somewhat of a, a late bloomer. Yeah, no, you know, I, you know from talking to, uh, to Mark Kelly, uh, you know, lead, who leads the scouting department, and, and even Stan Bowman, they're uh, they're hopeful that they, they'd like to sign him. They're really keeping an eye on him. You know, I think they've been in touch with uh, with his agents in, uh, in in North America and Russia. So, uh, you know, there's been some maybe just uh, introductory conversations like, about him coming back. Um, it, it probably makes sense for him at this point. He, he's 23. Um, you know, he is playing well. So if, if he's looking to come back to the NHL and um, you know, having a chance to, uh, you know, do so, uh, I think with the Blackhawks would be a good fit for him because they do need some, uh, you know, you can probably look at top six forwards and, you know, some they can fit in. And the fact that they have Panarin and Isimov, I think those are, are good selling points too. So, um, you know, if, if there's a window for him to do it, it, it would probably make sense now. Uh, he can come over on that, that, that entry-level deal and work to his second contract pretty quickly. So, um, you know, no, nothing specific yet about, you know, how realistic that is or, um, but you know, I, I, the Blackhawks uh, have expressed publicly they'd like to get it done, and um, you know his kind of, his season in the uh, in the KHL here will be uh, winding up in, in February and March, and, and we'll better get a, probably get a better idea of uh, where his head's at and what he'd like to do. But um, yeah, I, I think especially with the Blackhawks needing guys like that, and uh, you know, a guy that could probably step in a little bit sooner than than some of these younger prospects, and maybe uh, you know have some kind of impact that NHL is, is you know even you know a bigger gift for them if they can bring him over. I wanted to ask you about something you said earlier about you can't see them making any trades this year because there's this buzz that, that Stan Bowman has an itchy tr- trigger finger. He'd like to find someone to play with Taves. I, I think it was Elliot Freeman that reported it the other day. Um, just your thoughts on that. What are you hearing, and what, what, how, how can they even manage that with, with the cap situation? Yeah, no, and that's a part, too. Is, I mean, they're so close to the cap now, the ceiling. It's, uh, uh, I, I could see them trading prospects. They have some decent some decent you know players in the system that, that could be intriguing um yeah I, I don't know where the space comes from I, it just uh you can finagle maybe a million or so there but um it's it's probably hard to do anything other than a, an expiring contract for a guy that's only making a few million um so i, I don't know um you know i i assume obviously knows what, he, what he's talking about so i don't question that it's just uh you know even the blackhawks desire to get something done it, it, it's whether can they? You know, how how can they make it work financially? And um, and and has to play in the bigger picture too. Where um, you know if they if they do trade for someone, 
Um, you know, is it someone they're looking to resign or someone who has a couple of years left in this contract, or how does that play out, too? Just because, you know, as we've talked about, the Blackhawks' financial picture gets uh, uh, it's even less clear going forward with uh, with Panarin's deal and adding it to the uh, the huge other pile of long-term contracts. So, um, you know, I, I think I think Stan Bowman's aware that this team um, has some deficiencies and it, um, you know, has some holes. And, and again, it's a big one that we saw most of last season too. Is a, a top-line left winger to play with uh, with Taves and Hose, and, and, yeah, and ultimately right they went out and got Andrew Ladd last year. Um, and, and this year, you know, they just called up a guy Spencer Abbott who's 28 and and played one game in the NHL throughout his career. He's played well in, in Rockford this year, but. Um, you know, kind of, he, he's brought up today, and he's put on the top line, or uh, you know, whatever the line is now with with Taves and Holtz. It just kind of shows you where they are, uh, you know, depth wise in the system right now, where they're they're kind of desperate for someone who has any kind of offensive skills to play, uh, you know, play a big role. All right, Scott, th- this has been a debate on the show now for a few weeks, and and I hear what you know you are saying this, and other guests we've had are, are saying, you know, obviously the depth isn't there. I, I get that by watching this team; it's not what it's been in years past, and the underlying numbers are, are troubling at times as well, but. If you're just looking at this year, I still see a Chicago team that has the best record in the Western Conference. I see a lot of other flawed teams in the West. I'm I'm still of the belief that this team can come out of the West this year. They still have the talent, and in my opinion, they get better when the playoffs roll around. Is it crazy to think that? No, I, I don't think so. I, mean, I I didn't expect them to be uh, as successful as they've been here through you know almost halfway through the season. Um, you know, I, I think as much as they lack some things, and and this team may not be overall as good as um, you know that 13 team or, or even the 15 team that won the cup. Um, I, I think Corey Crawford's, you know, I, I think he's playing at a different level. Um, you know, when when they won cups in, in 13 and 15, um, he was good. You know, he, he had some decent numbers, but when you looked them, compared them to some of the elite goalies, he wasn't there. And and I think especially in the last two seasons, Corey Crawford's playing at a different level and. Uh, taking that next step, and he's really put himself um, in that elite, elite category statistically, and um, you know to see even the eye test with the way he's played, and especially with the Blackhawks, there um, they have the puck less than they ever ever had, and they're giving up more shots, and, and Crawford's been the big key. So, um, and the fact that you know Hosa's Hosa's playing well, and they are still getting goals, and um, you know the fact that Panarin sound, um, you know he's really been consistent his first two years. I, I think there's a lot of upside to this team, and. Um, you know, as you said, I mean, there aren't many teams in the West that I'd say, uh, you know, obviously Minnesota is playing really well right now, but until they prove it in the playoffs, and, um, you know, I think people are skeptical, and, you know, the Blackhawks have, have seen everyone at this point and uh, proven they can compete with everyone. Um, you know, the, the worry with this team right now is just they go through some offensive slumps and you're, and you're feeling that, but, um, you know, I think Patrick Kane has. Um, you know, he's still near a point of game, but I, I think there's another level he can get to this year. And um, So, yeah, I, I don't think it's, um, yeah, I guess, it's a long way of saying that I, I think the Blackhawks, um, uh, you know, they, they can compete too. I just uh, uh, I just think when you compare them to other years, they're not the same, but um, I think they've proven all the way. I mean, 41 games or whatever they're at right now is a pretty decent size, uh, you know, sample size, and they've, and, and they've shown they can play as well as anybody. Scott Powers from the Athletic Chicago. Thanks so much for the time. We will uh, look forward to maybe talking to you again down the line. Enjoy the the second half of the season, Scott. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, thanks Scott. All right. So thanks to Scott for that insight on on a Blackhawks team that you know they are still at the very top of the Western Conference right now. They're certainly trending in the wrong direction over the last couple of weeks. But 
I, just your your thoughts as somebody that obviously follows the Blackhawks very closely, Craig. I, and I guess I'll, I'll start off with the last question I asked him, just in terms of, you know, is this still a team that can win the Western Conference? And to my credit, a lot of the things he pointed out were things I've pointed out on the show before, and that it's it's not that I don't believe you guys when you're saying that the depth isn't there or, like, Carolyn comes on and says the underlying numbers are not there. Totally get that. I don't think there's any way this team beats the 2013 Chicago Blackhawks in the best-of-seven series. I just think when you're at the top and you take a step back, that doesn't mean you, you fall below all these other teams. And as he pointed out, the rest of the West, pretty much every team is flawed. And the one thing that, that he has he brought up, and I believe Mark Lazarus brought this up earlier, uh, back before uh, – was that during? That was earlier in the season, but Preview the season the was season, going. Yeah. Um, yeah, Corey Crawford has been better, and then this year he's been lights out. That's an element that the Blackhawks haven't necessarily had in the past. They get to the playoffs. I feel like their experience kicks in over 60% of the teams that they might face. And then if they have goaltending, and Patrick Kane, too, 11 goals right now, he's going to score at a better rate, I believe, over the course of the year. doesn't mean they don't have depth. doesn't mean that there aren't issues, but... Look at the other teams. Here's what I would say. If you if you look back at the history of the playoffs, and, and if you're, you're looking at this from an analytic standpoint, if you look at shot differential, the teams that have the best ones by and large are the teams that are moving on late into the, into the playoffs. Blackhawks are terrible in that regard. I don't see them making a run for that reason alone. Could they get better in they, that regard? I don't see it unless these guys in the bottom six forwards take a quantum leap forward, which okay. would be hard to see over the final 40 games. The, the Anisimov, Panarin, Kane line, if they stick with it, if they don't juggle it some more, is a terrific line, and it's hard to shut them down, but they are going to be facing all of the attention in the playoffs because even Jonathan Taves is not producing. His, his production has dropped off, so who do you have to worry about on this team other than that line? It's really it's a one-line team consistently, so that becomes much easier to defend in the playoffs. And, and again, if you're giving up far more chances, far more high danger chances as Carolyn was pointing out that you know they're they're not producing a great amount of chances and they're giving up a lot of them i think sooner or later the law of averages just says that's going to come back to bite you and you can't you can't sustain this kind of success you, you guys are swaying me a little bit just in terms of there's a, there's a lot of stuff you're saying that is very true. I, I'm still going to stick with my original stance just because when you look at the other teams in the West, I could poke a lot that, of holes in that. That could be the way they get past, right? Again, it, it, you're right. The like West the Patriots in the NFL. The West year. isn't very impressive right now. But, but uh, you know, another thing that Scott said there that kind of stands out to me when, when talking about maybe trying to make a run at, at another player this year, if you're going to do that in your Chicago, other than trying to juggle around the cap, which would be extremely difficult, you'd have to trade prospects away. And this is where I do believe the Blackhawks are in trouble. I don't think they're in trouble this year. I think three or four years down the line, they could not just be in trouble of, okay, maybe they're not winning the division or whatever. They could be struggling to make the playoffs some years. With a bunch is, of expensive players. That's the thing. I mean, which is crazy. With Kane and Taves, I figure they're still going to be a playoff team. And, and Panarin, but if you're trading prospects away now, you are absolutely, to me, saying we're going all in on another cup. And there's going to be some lean years down the line, whether it's three years or six years. And that's fine. You know, if you get the Cups, they already have three, so you could make an argument right now. They've already done enough to, to warrant everything that comes in the future. You've won three championships. How many teams get to say that over this period of time? Now, if they, go, if they somehow manage to win a fourth Cup, I don't know how they're going to do it. If they manage to win a fourth Cup because a couple of these prospects come through, wow, any, anything that happens, who cares at that point? Because to me... It, they become a dynasty at that point, especially in the salary cap era, with all the havoc that it wreaks on a roster. I don't care what happens to the Blackhawks. If they get a fourth cup, fine. But I just, again, I, I don't know how they're going to do it other than 
preying on a suspect Western Conference where there simply isn't an elite team right now. But, you know, we, we have a second half of the season to sort all that out, and we'll see what some of those other teams like Nashville or San Jose or St. Louis can do down the stretch. Yeah, the second half of the season for maybe a team like Dallas or, like you said, Nashville to reemerge as a, as a legitimate threat. Also, I mean, I think there is an element where the Blackhawks can get better when you have Joel Quenville as your coach. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would pick them to win the Cup. Yeah, I, 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 but, I, I wouldn't see them winning the Cup either against, any, uh, against Pittsburgh. No way. There's no way they beat the Penguins in a seven-game series this year with the, the two rosters as they're comprised. And just, you know, as you get deeper into the playoffs, too, my, my biggest thing, and I know you can't necessarily measure this with numbers, is I've seen the Blackhawks. When they get to the playoffs, they step their game up. Other teams other teams will step their game up, too, but there's also teams that tense up or they see the Blackhawks across the ice. When you start getting to the Western Conference Finals or the Stanley Cup, those teams aren't going to be intimidated by Chicago. So, you know, we'll see. Yes, if they had to go through the East, if they were in the Metro right now and we're looking at a path through Washington and then Pittsburgh and then Montreal or Tampa, oh, I'm not picking them to get to the Cup. But if the path is Minnesota and then maybe Nashville when they get in and then Anaheim, well, you know, we'll see. But I, Yeah, I think it could really help if the Blackhawks could somehow hang on to the division title. I mean, they, they did bank a lot of early points, and that's going to help them. So if they can hit one other hot stretch and hang on to the division title, that could help them a lot in terms of matchups in the playoffs. And that's interesting because normally it doesn't really matter if you win your division. If you're, if you're a team that knows you're going to the playoffs, down the stretch, maybe you even rest guys. Not, you don't, don't sit them out completely. Maybe you manage their minutes because do you really care if you get first or second. Right. But, yeah, right now, I mean, if, if the, the season ended today, they would have, they'd win the division, they'd be the number one seed in the West, and that would give them a first-round matchup with Calgary. I kind of like Calgary, but I'm not taking Calgary in that series. No, just a young team that has no playoff experience. I mean, I know they had the run a couple of years ago, but you look at this core and you're going to match them up against the Blackhawks in the postseason, yeah, I'm going to take the Blackhawks in that series. Now, if Calgary had one more point, the first-round matchup would be Chicago and L.A., and maybe that wouldn't be what it was a couple of years ago, but I'd, I'd watch that series again. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good theater, although both teams obviously diminished from what they used yeah, to be. Yeah, not quite at the, at the level they were a couple years ago. Anything else here before we wrap it up? I'm good. Did you have any other predictions we didn't get to? Do you think I'm crazy with my four Canadian teams make it we this year? We didn't say who's winning the Cup. Who's winning the Cup? I meant to ask Carolyn that, too. Yeah, let's, let's get into that next week. Actually, let's get into that when Jamie comes back in right. two weeks. That way we can all um, kind of jump in on that. But I'm, I'm serious. Like... I think at least Edmonton or Calgary makes the playoffs. So there's one, if not two. How about this? I think Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, two of those three make it. I think Winnipeg gets in, huh? Carolyn's hit, writing them off. Yeah, I, I would be more inclined to pick Edmonton and Calgary. But there's two right there. Winnipeg. Why isn't Winnipeg better? I don't get it. Montreal's in, so there's yeah, a third. In. And then I do think Toronto or Ottawa gets in. So I, I think four teams from Canada make it a year after. I, I think this helps to have the first. Pick I think this year. is the first year since the the mighty Red Wings in the '90s where we see a repeat champion. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins win the Cup again this year. Oh wow! I thought you were going to say that the Red Wings don't make the playoffs, no, but that's I, kind but of a I given. Think that's, yeah, I think we've all written them off. And I will uh, I will close with two last predictions. One of which I know is going to it's going to draw your uh, it's going to get emotion out of you. Tampa Bay, I think, still sneaks into the playoffs and wins at least one playoff series. And secondly. I absolutely, at this point, am 100% on board with you, Craig, that St. Louis is just going to let Kevin Shattenkirk walk at the end of the year. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I mean, at this point, you've... You can't now. You can't give up on him now, can you? No, because as you've said numerous times, the Blues are too good now to trade Kevin Shattenkirk for prospects. What you, yeah, and what are you saying to your fan base and to your team now if you're going, you know, you're, at this point, you're thinking about the playoffs. 
Oh, yeah, we're going to trade one of our best players. And then on the flip side, who's what team is going to make a trade with you in, in a situation where they... The only teams that are going to trade for Kevin Shattenkirk are playoff contenders this year. So they're not going to give you a guy that's going to help you this year. Unless... Yeah. Unless there's some team in the East I'm not thinking of that's so desperate for defense and so loaded on offense that they would swing that deal for the playoffs. And if they do that, I don't remember a trade like that, really, where where two playoff contenders trade legitimate pieces that could meet again in the Stanley Cup this year. So unless the St. Louis Blues win the Stanley Cup this year for the first (laughs) time in that franchise's history, if I'm the owner of this team, I am very angry with my general manager for playing this situation out the way he did because you have lost a, an incredibly valuable, valuable asset for nothing when there are teams that wanted to deal with you all offseason. Yeah. That's, that's not good management. No. If they win the Cup, obviously, then it's worth it. Uh, I would go so far as to say if they get to the Cup this year, they can probably sell that to their fans. But at that point, I feel like there was a trade to make last year where you still could have got to the Cup this year and got pieces that you can... Because you, you started with a clean slate there. So it's, if, you, if you get to the Cup Finals this year and then you cr- trade Kevin Shattenkirk, people are going to be angry then too. Yeah. Okay, we've just weakened the team that almost got there. Yeah, we're not going to be back. It's, 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 and I understand in some ways it was, it was a difficult situation. But, and, and again, as John Chaika, the general manager of the Coyotes, said, you can, you can ask for the moon when you have the player that people want. Yeah. But at some point, you've got to figure out, okay, what's, how, is, how does this all play out? What's the end game here? Do I really let this crazy valuable asset walk away for nothing? And if I don't win a cup, how is that going to be received? It can't be received anything but badly. And it's silly, too, because... You know, to to your point there with the Chica quote, if you have a piece that other teams want, then you hold all the cards. Kevin Shattenkirk is playing even better this year, mm. and his value is going down because we're getting so close to the trade Isn't deadline. Isn't that crazy? You're right. That's you're right. It's it's the weirdest situation, and I just the 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 point I keep coming back to in the back of my mind as a fan of a team, I always want my team to go for the cup. You know, if they feel like they have a legitimate shot. But, like, you look at Tampa last year. I loved it when Iserman went all in, and he's like, we're going for it this year, and, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't work. Maybe we still have a shot to re-sign Stamkos. The St. Louis Blues do not have the money to re-sign Kevin Shattenkirk, so unless something crazy happens in the offseason, they've known all along they can't bring him back. There's no safety. Jeremy Rutherford's been on our show saying there's no way he's back. There's no way they re-sign him. They don't have the money. Yeah. There's no room. <laughs> so, again, you... This is, a, this is a guy that should have been moved at the draft. He should have been traded. Well, on and then that you, note. Then you give your, time, your team a chance to absorb it, too, and, and move on. We're going to have to talk to another St. Louis person here in the next couple months and, and get their updated thoughts on that situation. Because I, I honestly, I know you and I and Jamie talk about it on this podcast a lot. I haven't heard it talked about a lot nationally. It's the weirdest story that's just kind of being forgotten. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for episode 66. Uh, thanks to Scott Powers and Carolyn Wilkie for joining us on the show today for Craig Morgan and not for Jamie Eisner because he's off at Disney World. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.